Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We were, and Rebecca was, uh, midway through, a, not even midway, partway, one-eighth way through a long and interesting Rashi, where he's going to kind of double back on himself. And it is, um, it's chapter three, verse um, 12 of the book of Shemot. Okay. Uh, I don't know why the screen is showing. You all see Bill's iPhone. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so let's just read the verse again, and then we'll pick up, Rebecca, if you're willing to, with the Rashi. Uh, the verse on chapter 3, verse 12, Vayomer, God said, Ki eye imach, I will be with you. And this is for you a sign or a symbol. Ki anochi That I will be, that, that I um, really have sent you, that I have sent you. And we discussed what the key might mean, what the key might mean in all of these phrases. Um, in my, sorry, in your taking out etaam, the people, me trying from Egypt. Ta'avdun, you will all worship, serve, et Elohim, God, God's referring to God's self in the third person, in the third God, as it were, al-hahar hazeh, on this mountain. So we, we won't go backwards into, in the, into the Peshat, even though we could spend a long time in the Peshat. We had started the Rashi, and I think the only thing we said in the Rashi was that um, Rashi's laying out or, or graphing this verse onto the previous verse and remember that Rashi's read of the previous verse, which is not the most obvious read of the previous verse, is that Moshe had asked two specific questions of God. The first question was, Mi anochi, who am I? El paro, that I should go to Pharaoh. And the second was, Yisraelim, which is a, a way of saying, who are they? Who are, the, who are these Israelites that they deserve your attention? Who am I that I'm going to be effective? And who are they? Right? So that's the way Rashi read that, which is not the most obvious way of reading it. And because there are two questions in verse 11, Rashi is going to read verse 12 as having two answers. And not only has having two answers, but they are going to be answered um, first, first, second, second. Not chiastically, not A-B-B-A, but A-A-A-B-A-B. Okay, so I think we got that far into the Rashi. We, I'll just read through the part that you'd already read, Rebecca. Um, on Bayomer ki imach, when God said, um, I will be with you, heshivo al rishon rishon, he, in his case, God, answered him, Moshe, on the first question first, vial ha'acharon, acharon, and on the second question second. I think that's as far as we got. Does that sound right to you, Rebecca? You're muted. I had marked that we were at vizeh ha'mar'eh, but... Okay, so uh, then why don't you pick up on... Um, and we'll go and we'll go through there um, and, and see and we'll finish the hopefully we'll finish the Rashi today okay Sha'amarta mi anochi ki elech el paro and that which you've said who am I that I should go to Pharaoh referencing the previous verse yes lo shalcha hi ki im mi sheli it is not you going on your own, but uh, but it's mine, for I will be with you. 
Right. And and now I am reminded that we did get through that because we were discussing what the Misheli means. Right. It's interesting that God that that Rashi has God speaking about ownership of something. And so the question is ownership of what? Of the shlichut, as it were, of of, of the of, of the of the being dispatched. When you said who am I? You shouldn't ask Moshe, who am I? Because it's not really you. It's, it's, it's as if, Moshe, you'd be asking me, God, who are you? Lo shilchahi, this thing, this mission is not yours. Ki it's mine. Ki So it's almost as if Rashi's reading ki not only I'll be with you like the footsteps poem, but it's really my going there and you're just representing me. I, it, 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 it is I, not you. Okay, It's about me, not you. Okay, that's where we picked up. That's where we ended. Keep going. And this, the vision that you have seen in the bush, it, it will be for you a sign that I have sent you. Okay. So if, if we were to graph this, the answer to the first question, who am I? Is, is the words, ki imach, I'll be with you. And then we have a side note. You've got a little sign here that is the proof. The proof is that you've already seen that I am capable of amazing things. You want to know, Moshe, how you are going to walk into Pharaoh's palace and, and expect to be stood, uh, understood? Do you remember what you just are seeing right now? You're, you're seeing the very indication that I'm capable of, of things that others are not capable of. And then Rashi makes it more explicit. A few more words. <laughs> Nizok. Okay. And that you will succeed in my sending you, uh, and I am able to deliver just as you saw the bush doing what I had sent out to you, or this as my mission. Right. It was not consumed. Thus, you will go in my mission, my sending you, and you will not be harmed. Good. Okay. So let's pause there. Someone want to kind of layer on or tease out what's going on in this first part of the first part of this Rashi? Because there's actually two comments in this Rashi, and we're still only halfway through the first part of it. Any comments or reactions to it? I have some things I want to share, but I want to see if other people do too. In this part of the analogy... What is being analogized to the bush and what is being analogized to the bushes not being consumed, which, which by the way, on the shot level seems to be just a miracle, right? In, in j- just something amazing in Rashi's read of this being um, a very specific sign there, there, there are lines being drawn kind of like, you know, you know, in, in an old, old test where you have to, you have to draw the line from what's on the left side to the right side and see what matches up. What what lines are being drawn to what? Moshe and the bush. Say more, Jeff. Uh, well, just that it's a parallel that he 
made the bush do what it needed to do, and then Moshe needs to do what he needs to do. Right, and that the bush is not being harmed on this miraculous mission. I, God, have turned a bush on fire, and the bush will be the exact same bush when the fire is gone. And the bush, if the bush could be sentient, could not have imagined that were possible. You, Moshe, do not think that this mission is possible, but I'm going to send you on this mission, and I'm going to be with you, just like I'm, I'm with the bush, and you, and you will not be consumed either, right? It's an interesting read. When we, when we look at the story most of the time and see the bush not being consumed, we don't necessarily see in that image a, uh, a, 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 an unharmed prophet of God that Moshe is about to be, but that's what Rashi is drawing here. It's interesting because it's close to saying that just as I can make the bush do what it wouldn't normally do, I can make Pharaoh do what Pharaoh wouldn't normally do. And that's probably the most more obvious concern in, in Moshe's question. But the, but the graphing is different than that. The graphing is not that Pharaoh is the bush doing something it would not normally do, but you, Moshe, are the bush. And I am the flame. And I'm going to be on you and with you. And when this is all over, you will not be ukal consumed. Comments, thoughts? Well, wouldn't the fire be Pharaoh? The one that would normally cause the damage? Um, you could read it that way too. Yeah, I had, I, I had read it that God here is the, um, that, that, that the, the fire is God with, since Moshe is the bush and God is with the bush and not consuming it, God is with Moshe and, and Moshe not be consumed in the process. But yes, I, I think I guess you could read it the way you were reading it also, Joel. Uh, Norm, Rachel? Um, <clears throat> I, I am not comfortable with the explanation that Moses was not consumed in the experience. I think that the rest of the Torah shows us that he was. That was what he did for the rest of his life. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> right. So, so um, it's interesting that Rashi uses not the Eincha uh, Ukal, but Eincha Nizok, right? Not that you'll not be consumed, but you won't be harmed. Yes, Moshe is certainly used up. His life is used up in this mission. Uh, but I guess the more plain reading is that you're not going to, you're not, you're, by standing in front of Pharaoh, you're not endangering yourself. Yeah. Thank you for that. Barry? Well, I'm just thinking of the the analogy with the the story of Daniel in in, in the fire pit. He, uh, basically, uh, Moses is afraid he's going back into the cauldron that he's escaped from, and uh, don't be afraid. You're going to go back to this cauldron, but um, there'll be no harm to you. Hmm. Great, that's another another good association. Um, I'm also thinking. I don't think this is this is like directly there in Rashi, but it's evocative for me of the Midrash, which I, one of these Midrashim that, you know, some, some children believe is actually in the Torah of Moshe's speech impediment coming from the, uh, the experiment that Pharaoh did with baby Moshe to see if he was going to be loyal or not. You know, is he going to reach for the diamonds, which means he's after Pharaoh's uh, riches, or is he going to reach for the coal? He's about to reach for the diamonds. God moves his hand. He reaches for the coal. He puts the coal to his lips. And therefore, he has a speech impediment. Um, so that in, in the Midrashic material, which Rashi is clearly aware of, even though he doesn't really go there so much, there's this notion of Moshe being in Pharaoh's presence and being injured by heat. And here, 
Rashi is analogizing Moshe to a sneh not being injured by heat, uh, likened to Moshe being in Pharaoh's presence and also not being injured then. So um, I don't think that Rashi is directly relating to the Midrash, but it's, it's playfully a part of it. Okay, good. Any more questions on this? All right, Rebecca. So that, that was also, that was on the Rishon Rishon. So that's the first question. Who am I? Forget about who am I. You're, it's, it's who am I, Moshe, God says. And, and, and if you're nervous that I can't follow up on that, just remind yourself what you're looking at right now. And part B. alta. And you asked, what merit is there to Israel that they shall go forth from Egypt? Which was Rashi's read of the phrase, Vichi Otsi et B'nei Yisrael Mimitzrayim, almost as a rhetorical question. Should I really bring the Israelites out of Egypt? which one more time is not the plainest way of reading the previous verse. The plainest way of reading the verse is a, is a straight through. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and take them out of Egypt? Rashi says, no, who am I and who are they? So on that second question. Dvar gadol yeshli al hutsa'azo shehare atidim l'kabel ha-Torah al hahar hazeh l'sof shalosh Okay, period. Okay. All right. Uh, A great thing I have uh, regarding this going forth, for they are destined. Good. I love that, that way of reading it. To receive the Torah on this mountain at the end of three months when they will go forth from Egypt. Great. I love the use of destined. Remember that in Hebrew, atid, the word future is understood really less to be a noun and more as a adjective that matches the noun it's modifying. So, um, or, or, or like a, a, ge- a gerund. They, they are futuring, they are destined to receive Torah on this mountain after three months when they leave Egypt. So I see Elon's hand is up. I want to hear his question. I want, well, while Elon is talking, I want to, ask you like almost like jeopardy in what in what way is this an answer to the question that we're supposing rashi is asking and we're supposing rashi is asking that moshe is asking who are they and so how is this an answer to who are they such that they deserve re- my rescue elon and joel <clears throat> yeah that was exactly my 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 issue which is rashi asked the question he doesn't, um, his answer is actually not an answer to that question. And as I would argue that to me, his answer is actually disturbing, which, and, and this is why. Instead of, instead of God saying, uh, they merit this because they are my people and they deserve to be free, it's all about God, right? And that's disturbing. Great. So in order to make sense of Rashi's answer as an answer, you have to read that the, that the merit, the worth of their rescue is not because of the suffering they're experiencing now, but the fealty they'll show to me in the future. Now, on some level, it makes sense like on a macro story, right? If, you're, if, 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 if the Torah and Rashi is trying to introduce us to this relationship, right? God's only interested in taking them out if, there's gonna be, if, if we're going to have a future together, right? Otherwise, God will pick another people, right? But it, it, particularly since the lead up to this is God saying, I've heard their cries, I've heard their distress, 
that's not the answer to who are they. The answer who are they is, oh, they're going to make a promise to me. They're going to accept my conditions. They're, they're, they're going to stand under a chuppah with me. That's why they deserve to come out. So now, whether one is disturbed by that as Elon is, or one is moved by that, it's, it's a very interesting way of asking the question or answering the question, who are they? Who are they? They're going to show you, Moshe, who they are. And parentheses, what's fascinating about that is that going back to what Rachel said is they don't show that so well. And Moshe experiences it. In fact, Moshe has to convince God at the golden calf that they're still worthy of the relationship having been removed. And Rashi, of course, is aware of that. So it's setting up this notion that God is stretching God's self, as it were. Perhaps God is limitless, but God is stretching God's self on behalf of a people that God knows are going to say, I do, under the chuppah. But, but, but they don't. If the answer to the, if the, if the question was, who are they? And the answer to that was, they are the people who are going to receive my Torah on the mountain. I would actually be comfortable with that. I don't have a problem with that is the answer to who are they. I have a problem to that is the answer. What merit does Israel possess? Why did they merit it? Because that is not answering. I have more of a problem with Rashi's interpretation than I do with what you just articulated. Yeah. Got it, Elon. I love that you're representing Smithtown East. Um, <laughs> I saw Joel and then Larry, Diane, and then Rick. Well, first let me respond to Elon. I mean, if somebody says, you know, why are they worth saving? And God says, I have big plans for them. They're going to do great things. You know, isn't that wouldn't be a proper response for a person, maybe, because they don't see the future. But an omnipresent God may be able to say, don't worry, Moshe, they're going to do great things. I, I don't know. I would argue that, that that's my constant battle with, with God is, and I've used this phrase before, is God is mafia Don, meaning that God is not, it's like, hey, they're going to come out, they're going to do right by me. And that's, it, it's, 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 a, it's a troubling, it's a troubling concept. I'm going to protect them because they're going to do right by me. I'm going to make them an offer they can't refuse, right? Correct. And remember, if we, if, we, if we take a biblical scholarship approach to this, which we weave into our traditional scholarship, a lot of scholars read the um, relationship between God and the Jewish people as, you know, a version of ancient vassal treaties where a less powerful entity has to commit a certain amount of loyalty and fealty to a more powerful entity to be protected. And that the more powerful entity, God, is looking for vassals to extract dues from and then be able to claim that they've got, they've got, they've got all these contracts out there, right? It's a, a somewhat cynical and probably maybe somewhat historically accurate view of how all this came into be with this, with this, with this divine creature. It doesn't jive with the romance, as it were, of a God who cries in heaven as the Israelites are suffering under burdens and God is going to swoop down and say, I've got you. It's, 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 and both are part of the Jewish, of, of the Israelite relationship with God and our narrative of, of, of that relationship. Um, Larry Dayan, did you lower your hand? That wasn't my comment. Oh, <laughs> go, sorry, go ahead, Joel. I, I was going to bring back the comment I made a few weeks ago when we talked about the earlier Rashi, when he says, Mazahu Yisrael, um, and I suggested that maybe it doesn't mean what have they mer- how have they merited, but rather what have they gained um, if we take them out into the desert. And it's 
Rashi makes it a lot harder to to interpret it that way when he changes it to Mazachut Yesh Israel. That's almost impossible to translate that way. But the answer yeah. makes perfect sense. Um, so we take him out into the desert, and then what? What I mean, what? How have they improved from being slaves to being out in the desert? And God says, "Don't worry. Once we get to yeah. the desert, that's that's when their reward's going to be. They'll be better off. Don't worry." Thank you for resurrecting that alternate read of Zahu and Zahut and the ambiguousness, ambiguity of that word as we render it in English makes that possible, right? Merit and deserve, um, deserve merit versus earn or, or what they're going to get. Um, I still hold by the fact that I think Rashi meant merit in terms of what they already have, but I, I can't prove it. Um, and Zahut sharpens that, right? Zahut even more means like um, having the merit in order to do something as opposed to like getting a prize, but 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 I think we could play with both of those simultaneously. Uh, Rick Tova and I assume Larry and Diane, you're you were you're lowering your hand. A uh, question on the end of the Rashi: um, Why throw in the uh, three months there? I mean, first of all, it's nice. I, I don't think I've ever seen it like that. That that the whole Exodus, the plagues, and everything getting back to Sinai took three months. Um, so I'm going to look up the, it's Exodus Rabbah, yeah. But um, why does Rashi throw it in there? Um, how does yeah. to, how does why, that help why, the explanation? Why Rashi throws it in there, I don't know. Interesting, one of the super commentaries on Rashi asks a, a version of that question, which is, but it wasn't three months. It was 49 days, right? 49 days? Right, That's, you know, from, from Pesach to Shavuot, right? Um, right, right. So the answer in the super commentary is, it was the third month, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, right? And the, even the Torah says, by Hashlishi, in the third, as it were, calendar month since they left, which is not after three months. So that doesn't answer why Rashi puts it in. You're right, it doesn't seem particularly... And he would have written um, Gimel Chodesh, Nachodashim, plural, right? Right, um, I, it doesn't answer it perfectly, nor does it answer your prime question as to why is it why is it there. Yeah. Um, you'll see when we get to chapter 19 of the book of Shemot that the notion of three months is present, but that does not mean that 90 days have transpired, but the third lunar month, right? They left middle of Nisan, full moon, right? And Torah is given, according to tradition, on the sixth and seventh day of Sivan. So they are in the third lunar cycle even though they haven't lived through three full months yet and, and why would that be important to moses there's there's no um there's yeah, no I, I don't remember yeah right rashi could have said period yeah anyway anyway i don't know i don't know i, I open to others uh theorizing on that um, my book has a uh, what would you say can't hear you renee that the Torah was given less than two full months after the departure, but the interval contained parts of three different months. Right, right. Nisan, Iyar, and Sivan. Uh, I think I saw Tova's hand next, and then Joanna, and then we'll go from there. Um, I was just wondering if we could understand the, the uh, Rashi's use of merit as referring to the fact that the Jewish people have suffered under this slavery, under this servitude, have wept, have cried out, have moaned, and yet they will be willing to adopt a new yoke. 
to take on a new servitude, despite the suffering that they've endured, they will recognize that this is a different kind of servitude that they are going to adopt and that that is the merit. Are you, are you using the word merit in that sentence, going back to Joel's comment, as that's what they have earned or that's what's going to show that they're worthy of this? That's what they're going to show that that they're worthy, that they have, despite the suffering they've ah, undergone, that they have this quality. So if you, Moshe, want to know why I'm paying attention to them, who are they? Not They're going to accept my yoke, even though they're currently under a yoke. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Wonderful. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot about that altogether in terms of the relationship in our tradition between Pesach and, and Shavuot, like leaving Shibud uh, and Avodah Kasha in order to be under Avodah Kasha, sure, right? Sure. Leaving a, um, a pernicious master to be in yoked. I know just, I just invented a word to a, um, a beneficent master, but still a master. Right. right. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of this in, in the in the commentaries on the Haggadah that the the the, the reason. Right. That the Israelites were not freed in order to be free. The Israelites were freed in order to be rebound. Mm -hmm. right? And that it was not just endless desert. Um, in fact, there's um, there's a lot of material on you know, the four words verses of salvation that we're going to get to in a couple of chapters that become the basis of all of the fours on the Seder plate, including the four cups of wine. Um, and there's a question of why not include the fifth. The fifth is the Heveti, and I'm going to bring them to the, to the land of Israel and to, the, and, to, and to Revelation, because after all, the goal of Exodus was not just to get them into a desert. The goal of Exodus was to get them into a relationship with God. So I think there's a lot there in what you, in what you just said, Tova. Wonderful. I hadn't read that way before. Joanna. This whole discussion of, you know, earned versus merit and the use of the word zechut. I mean, I think this would work much better if Rashi had explicitly referenced this. But I'm wondering if there is like an implied throwback here to zechut vote and the promises made to our ancestors and a sense of and maybe a continuing link from that in the way that your ancestors have proved themselves and God saying that God had made a promise to our ancestors you know the fulfillment and continuing merit of that and perhaps it's like one and both at the same time from the past and now into the future yeah so I'm not sure it would be a throwback or a throw forward these are the kind of Biblical imagery, it's a throw forward in the sense that zechut avot is a rabbinic overlay backwards onto rabbinic onto biblical texts. So Rashi's clearly aware of the concept of zechut avot, and you know when he davens the amidalo hevrahamaloheitzchafoheyakov, he's saying that. Um, you're wondering whether or not Rashi would is is kind of Im, Im, imputing that into this verse that the conversation between God and Moshe about the Israelites' zechut is in situ in that spot, somehow evoking the zechut of the ancestors. Um, I don't know if it is in terms of the word. I'm not sure if the word zechut is playing out here. Um, and it's interesting going back to, I guess, at this point now, Elon's question, the answer to me, the, the, um, who are they that I should bring out of Egypt is interestingly, not that they are my people 
and that they are the descendants of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, right? It's neither that because they're suffering and I'm a God who sees suffering, nor is it because they are the descendants of the people that I in, in, uh, initiate a relationship with. It's because I have a sense I have a future with them. That's a particular read of Rashi. So th- there, there could have been an opportunity for the text itself and certainly for Rashi to say, why them? I love them. And, and, uh, and Avraham showed his faith to me. And I was with Isaac and Jacob. And that's interestingly not the answer. So in some ways, as I'm talking out loud, I'm thinking that that silence, the, the, the silence is saying something here. The fact that Rashi is not invoking Zichut Avot here when Rashi could have makes me think that for some reason, Rashi is, is only looking at this, this moment moving forward, not going backward. Don't know why. Um, there, are, there are, I think, more compelling answers. If Rashi already is going to read in the previous verse, the Chiyotzi, as a second question that Moshe is asking, which you don't have to read, I think there are more compelling answers to that question, um, except that Rashi also has to, has to just deal with what's in the verse, right? There are more compelling answers, but the verse doesn't give that answer. The verse gives Tavduna um, uh, so he has to he has to use those words as his answer. What's Who are they? They're going to serve me on the mountain. Uh, Barry, Norman, Rachel. Um, so uh, there's, uh, I, I'm hearing an, an underlying dark story here. Um, like, our, our our people were uh, nomadic herd 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 people, uh, n- not really a civilization. Uh, we were sent down to Egypt to learn over the centuries, uh, uh, to become servants of a higher authority, and to, to learn this way, and and so that we would know what it would be ultimately to be the the servants of God. Um, and and to bring out fr- from Egypt the, the 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 civilized aspects that we we've, we've learned there, but if, if God being all knowing, uh, how God wouldn't know that uh, being out in the desert alone with Moshe up on the mountain, that uh, we're going to lose lose connection and have to have our own golden uh, calf, or God knew we were going to do this. Why? If, if God knew that as a people we were going to be servants of uh, God's servants, uh, why, why, why leave us um, alone um, to uh, get lost? Um, I, don't have, I don't have great answers to that, so I'll let those questions um, hang in, in the ether, but thank you for that, Barry. Uh, Norman, Rachel? Um, I wanted to talk about the three months uh, aspect. Um, just the other day, I read an article in Torah.com that suggested that we had a tradition at one time that even Shavuos came on at a full moon, um, as do five of the holidays we currently celebrate. Um, and it made me think that when God says in three, that when Rashi has God saying in three months after they come out, it doesn't really mean three months after they leave Egypt. It means three months from now, after they've come out, he's telling Moshe Rabbeinu that the whole process from him going down and confronting Pharaoh and confronting the Israelites and, and 
Egypt enduring 10 plagues and the Jews coming out and getting to Sinai is three months from the time they're having this conversation. And I want to suggest that as a possible way of understanding how he came up with this three months amount. It'll be three months from now after they've come out from Egypt. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I, I, I don't know that the internal math of the Torah supports that because that would suggest that between this moment and actual Exodus is just about a month or. Yeah. Month you know, and a half or so. Right. Um, the truth is there's actually not a lot of math throughout the 10 plagues, right? We have no sense of how much time it takes. It, there, there's, there's a bunch of, or something like that, but it doesn't say next week. It doesn't say next month. So your mind can go in all sorts of different directions with the frogs there for an hour or a month. Um, the Shet Yetzu Mimitzrayim is interesting here. After three months, you're reading it as, and um, including in that by which they will have already left Egypt. Possible. I I think he's playing with Vayihiba Chodesh Hashlishi, that it was on the, th- on the, on the third month. That, that seems like that. It was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Norm. Uh, Sue, then Diane, Larry. I'm thinking about what Barry said, which I think is really. Oops, sorry, Sue. I muted you by accident. It's hard enough. <laughs> okay. So um, I was thinking about what Barry said and, and I think it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's uh, just like a, a message. I'm thinking about what it means in terms of our messages for human nature in general and, and, how um, it, it seems that it, it it's that that that's right. You can't just take an entire population from a completely oppressed slavery and then you know introduce them to no no. They need they need to be brought along in a in in some kind of framework that maybe looks familiar while they develop. Um, I think that there's 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 just a lot in there that, you know, the whole that went to the golden calf, it seems like uh, we're supposed to learn from this, that you have to develop society. You can't just throw, throw it at them. And my uh, personal little story that I kind of tell myself, I have no idea exactly how true it is, but I'm, many of you know that I'm originally from Minnesota. And I used to think to myself, my ancestors who came to um, the United States in the in the early 1900s, we were not they were not Holocaust survivors. This was the early 1900s, and they came from, you know, Poland and Lithuania and all kinds of. I actually have one grandmother who was born in Iowa, so I'm like really a cornfield girl. But um, um, they came. And they came and they were plunked there through Hyas and through whatever, however it is that they moved them in the early, in the, you know, 1905 into the frozen wasteland. But, you know, it was the misery they knew. And, and that's kind of my point. It's like they moved them into the misery. They, there was not much to reject because, you know, okay, they, that, that was, you know, those winters are not for the faint of heart. And, but that's sort of how they knew how to live. And I think that helped acclimate and acculturate a whole, a whole society. Um, that's my thought. Mm. Um, 
another comment that I just want to just leave there. A lot, a lot to chew on. Thank you for that, Sue. For that. If I could just comment back to that, uh, I, I'm I'm somewhat disappointed in God's miscalculation of human nature. God, the all-knowing, the creator, miscalculates human nature. Say why? What? what say more about that. Well. Uh, <laughs> I'm just picking up what Susan was saying, um, brings us out, drops us, and, and doesn't, doesn't know that we're, we're going we're, we're to be lost. Uh, we, how, we, we, we don't know how to subscribe to this un, unknowing uh, a God yeah. uh, and being out in the desert. And what, what are we going to do? Uh, we're we're, we're going to go back to what we knew before we came out there. God either knew we were going to do this or uh, is God's capable of misunderstanding the creatures that he's created. Right. Great. Clearly the Torah's version of God is that God is both simultaneously omniscient and deluded and overly hopeful and misguided and, and, and planning at least in this Rashi comment, an entire salvation and exodus on the on the premise that they that these people will be entirely grateful and dutiful, which is as you said as you know not what happened. I mean the the midrash rhapsodizes that mountain as a chuppah, but as someone already mentioned in the comments, the, there's another midrash that rhapsodizes the mountain betachtit you know, underneath the mountain as God threatening as a mafia God. If you don't accept it. I'm going to drop it on you because that's the whole reason I brought you out of here, you people. Right. So the Midrash and the rabbinic tradition that is living with the aftermath of the story and the text is trying to figure out. So what is the basic nature of this relationship? And I and and Rosh, at least in this moment, Rashi is not consistent with everything, is is doubling down on the notion that the basis of the relationship is the Israelites people accepting Torah and and and. And and the restrictions therein. Um, Larry, Diane, and then Joanna, and then I think we're going to have to end. If you came in late, I have a funeral today, and I have to I have to end this at about nine fifteen. So an even darker reading would say that, in fact, slavery itself was a test. Was God testing the Israelites to see if they were prepared to accept the yoke, a yoke, mm-hmm. and and they passed the test. Wow. I mean, that's a very dark reading of it. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Larry also wants to say something. So. Please. Uh, real briefly, I, I, I agree with, with Norma. I can't support it. The, there's brackets around the words Shiitsu uh, Mimitsrayim. So they were added later to, to, make it, to make it clear that you're reading, Rabbi, that it yep. was about three months and uh, the third month and not three months. So it seems to me that there's a possibility that, that Rashi had some sort of chronology that we don't have. And I quickly went ahead. And like you said, I can't find any time markers whatsoever. It's con- conceivable that the entire story takes place within three months. Yeah. I also simply want to say, Kolakavo uh, to Ilan. I lowered my hand because Elon basically said everything I wanted to say. And finally, that bit that you, that you sent the link to last week, Leslie Nielsen, I'm a locksmith and I'm a locksmith. It was great. 
But the following clip that came on automatically, at least on my screen, where it was a scene, I won't describe the whole thing, where they were talking across purposes, the cops, was also very applicable to this verse and to the <laughs> fact that I think that Rashi, to some extent, that, that God and Moses are talking across purposes. So I, uh, I don't know what algorithm determines what one sees next, if that's specific to the link you're watching or your own computer. But if you can find that second link again, send it to me. Um, I had just, for, by coincidence, I've been, been reading today out of a different volume, not the Torah Chaim. So I'd forgotten that the word Sheyatsu Mitzrayim is not in the earliest printing, where we have that footnote 87, Leita B'tfus Rishon. The, the, the three months is, but not the three months vis-a-vis they're having left Egypt. So um, there's more to be said in that. Joanne, I'm going to give you the last comment on the day, and then I got to I got to run. So, just very quickly, um, one Rashi that a uh, very few that I happen to know is if you look ahead at um, Rashi on seven twenty five, which is the end of the first plague, where it tells us the first plague was seven days. Rashi proposes there so too with each plague. Each plague was a quarter of a month, or let's say approximately a week. So therefore, that uh, while I'm very intrigued by the by your timeline norm, with uh, it's not clear how Rashi comes up with that math. I think it's based on some midrashim, but that math would not work with Rashi's own math later on. So great. Um, let's let's try to remember that when we get to the seventh chapter of Exodus um, in the year 2029. <laughs> I think this is like we've gone at a slow pace before, but I think this will be the first time that I can remember that we will have stretched a single Rashi comment over three classes because we're not even halfway through the Rashi. So when we get to next week, and I know today was artificially shortened because of my funeral, um, but when we get to next week, Rebecca, I think we'll relieve you of, of your duties so that we can um, bring someone else into the reading and we'll finally get to the end of Rashi's first half of this comment. And then he has a Devar Acher, another thing. And the challenge on the Devar Acher will be what is new, what is significantly new about a Devar, the, the next thing Rashi is offering. Usually when Rashi offers a Devar Acher in his, own, in his own comment, his second comment is like a wildly different read than the first one, right? Sometimes he has a version of, you know, um, you know, this is the simple reading, but here's a midrashic understanding. When it does a davar acher, it's usually entirely new. And I'm setting this up to let you know that the davar acher that's coming is not entirely new compared to what he just said. And we'll have to figure out what is subtly different about these two comments. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.